Welcome to Escape the Earth. We are a sci-fi and fantasy podcast broadcasting from an undisclosed location within the San Antonio Public Library. We are supported by the library and by the San Antonio Public Library Foundation. So a big shout out to them. I'm Mary Elizabeth and my other crew members today are Alyssa. Hi, everybody. And Tim. Hello. Today we are discussing the Kaiju Preservation Society by John Scalzi. Before we get into that, we have a couple of disclaimers. First, there will be spoilers. We go into this assuming that you have read the book, and we aren't going to tiptoe or stutter step around things. If you haven't read the book, hit the pause button, go read it, and come back to us. Part of our goal is to encourage people to read the book. Second, this is geared towards adults. We're not potty mouths or anything, but sometimes the subject matter will not be for youngling ears. Yay. Thank you, Mary. I'm going to talk a little bit about John Scalzi. He was born in May of 1969, so he's just a shade older than I am. He's an American science fiction author and former president of the Science Fiction and Fantasy Writers of America. He's best known for his Old Man's War series, which is an excellent book. If you haven't read it, I highly recommend it. It's one of the other Scalzi novels that I have read. Three novels of the Old Man's War series have been nominated for the Hugo Award, and his blog, Whatever, he has written on a number of topics there since 1998. He won the Hugo Award for Best Fan Writer in 2008, based predominantly on the blog. This is all coming off of his Wikipedia page. He has also used the blog for several charity drives his novel red shirts won the 2013 hugo award for best novel and i have that on my to read list he's written non-fiction books and columns on diverse topics such as finance video games films astronomy writing politics he's even served as creative consultant for the tv series stargate universe That's all from his Wikipedia page. And I think Alyssa is going to give us the synopsis of today's selection. You bet. Thanks, Tim. So for today's summary, I thought I would start with a riddle. What's hundreds of meters tall, swarming with Rottweiler-sized parasites, and named after a main character from Twilight? If you guessed an alternate Earth kaiju, you are correct. Jamie Gray, the hero protagonist of the Kaiju Preservation Society, finds themselves down on their luck at the beginning of the COVID pandemic, working as a deliverator for the very startup that so rudely ejected them from a marketing position they abandoned graduate school for. Having left behind their dissertation only to end up slinging shawarma, Jamie's luck seems to pick up when they run into an old school friend, Tom, who offers them a job. The job is kind of sudden and kind of secret, but it pays a lot of cash, offering Jamie a way to ensure they and their roommates survived the COVID shutdown. Jamie takes the job, meets a bunch of awesome scientists, and begins their six-month assignment, lifting things, at Tanaka Base on Kaiju Earth, an alternate reality full of humidity, murderous fauna, and the giant nuclear-powered creatures who they are charged with protecting from the most dangerous monsters of all. That's a great synopsis. So did you guys know what a kaiju was before we selected this book? I, I did not. Oh, I <laughs> I did just from, you know, Godzilla and that 
what is that other movie? Pacific Rim. Pacific Rim. Yeah, <laughs> I always forget the name of that. But yeah, that, I just from just from those things. So, in preparation for this, I watched the nineteen fifty four Godzilla in Japanese. And I made my seven-year-old grandson watch it with me. And that kid sat through a two-hour movie in Japanese. And it was actively engaged in asking questions that I had no answer to. (laughs) Um, I'm totally impressed. Yeah. (laughs) I'm very impressed as well. But I'd never seen Godzilla before. It's another sign of my poor example of being a geek. Uh oh. <laughs> but I did enjoy it. I'm glad for the experience. I get to cross that off my list now. But apparently, I do need to go back and re uh, watch Pacific Rim as well. Oh, it's a it's a fun romp. <laughs> I also enjoyed the cartoon Godzilla cartoon from my youth. <laughs> uh, and it had a character called Godzuki. And it was like it had this fun little song that theme song that just i it it still runs in my head every now and then but yeah it's there's a there's a lot of godzilla lore (laughs) also the remake i watch i think i've watched all of the godzilla movies i can't i can't quote them to you i can't identify the monsters but and at some point in my life i've seen most of them (laughs) the kaiju that uh that i know i'm most familiar with is mothra but i have seen godzilla the original been long it's been a long time but i have seen it and king kong also yeah yeah king kong too yeah yeah anything huge <laughs> so i it does sound kind of like bella and edward are the mothra species of kaiju just I by know. description I, I, didn't mothra I kind of got yeah mothra did fly but a couple of them flew there was one that was more like a dragon oh gosh see this is where i i don't know the names and I know people in my family and will be like, oh, I can't believe you forgot. That. <laughs> <laughs> so, so there, are, there are a few that they could, that could be the inspiration for, for Bella. And cause I just always pictured Mothra more of a peaceful guy. <laughs> At the beginning of the book, they're, they're in COVID. And I know Alyssa, when you first saw this, you were like, oh man, COVID dinosaurs. I don't know if I want to read that, but it does take a rather light approach to the pandemic. And I just love that first scene with with Sanders where Jamie Gray gets fired and basically forced into being a deliverator. Yes, deliverator. <laughs> I, lo- I love that uh that snow crash reference i'm a big i really enjoyed snow crash and i've read uh seven eves also by neil stevenson and his books are a trip every time they also re- yes, the del- reference uh cryptonomicon in there I oh do they i haven't read that one have you read that one i have not read that one it's on my shelf it's like four inches thick that it's- that's about all of them yes they agreed <laughs> yes and, and snow crash is you know of course the book that coined the 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 metaverse really oh wow I have that's to where take that, a look at that that's where that term comes from comes from snow crash get ready zuckerberg you know neil stevenson's coming for you better be <laughs> <laughs> um 
So Rob Sanders, if this were a movie, who would be playing the part of Rob Sanders? I don't know why Rob Lowe is coming to mind. Oh, I, I was feel thinking like I could see him eviling it up. I could see That's... maybe Sam Rockwell. <laughs> really? I those are both good choices. For some reason I pictured Rob Schneider. <laughs> maybe it's just because of the name Rob. Could be. <laughs> the other thing I like at the at the beginning of the book is Jamie leaves his his marketing job. He's forced out of it by by Rob Snyder, uh, Sanders. See it now. I'm saying Rob Schneider. He's forced out of his marketing job by Rob Sanders, the owner of Food Mood, which is a delivery service similar to Uber Eats. He's forced into a delivery role, and through this delivery role. He meets someone that he knew kind of adjacently in school, like a, uh, I don't know, an acquaintance from, from college. And over several food deliveries, they have this extended conversation. And uh, so you work there. You can tell me this, Tom said, when I delivered a Chicago-style deep dish pizza, you know, and let that me whole, ask you this as i delivered his shawarma <laughs> yeah that whole scene that whole chapter two scene where you're introduced to tom and the idea of uh, kps really it was just oh it was expertly written it just the way it shifts into one scene one like one meetup to the next meetup to the next weeks in a row only be but if not for the, or several days in a row, if not for the different food being delivered, it was pretty, pretty great to read Right. That. You would have thought it was one conversation, but the way it's written, it's clearly one conversation that's taking place over several meetings. And so Tom ends up offering Jamie a, a job, as Alyssa said in the synopsis, that is very secretive and I know you want to say something about Laertes and uh, and Brent, Brent, right? Brent and Laertes, which are Jamie's roommates at the time, who he's concerned about them having to move out as well because then he won't be able to make rent. Oh Laert- yeah, that, that that conversation, that whole set of conversations in that relation, those relationships are just awesome. <laughs> Laertes wanting to firebomb everything all the time. The comic relief there is excellent. Oh yeah, I was definitely rolling. <laughs> firebomb them! No, we can't firebomb. <laughs> and just shouting yes, from the room, from the like other playing room. video games and shouting from the room over. <laughs> like this is my life. This is real life in my household. <laughs> it was pretty great. Just the setup for every character. Every character you can feel the depth in them. The that they are like well rounded, and it's just you know, you you could picture them actually being somebody you're you're friends with or know or have co- had conversations with before oh yeah the characters really drive this novel Hey, right. here's a sample conversation they have vegan cheese no they don't they have shredded orange and white sadness that mocks cheese and everything it stands for <laughs> that's pretty <laughs> accurate yeah i wholeheartedly agree <laughs> i also like so Tom tells Jamie that he's going to be doing a job where 
he's his assistant and he mostly lifts things and moves things and so throughout the book every time he meets somebody well i have a doctorate in geology i lift things that's what he says all throughout i lift things he has to go through a very detailed physical to get this job and it entails literally like a hundred shots to be given to him and the conversation with the doctor is great too a couple of these are going to give make you feel ravenously hungry go ahead and eat all you want but avoid excessively fatty foods since one of these is going to tell your body to purge fats in a way that absolutely challenges normal sphincter control that's not great it's a mess seriously don't even think about trying to fart for the next 18 hours it's not a fart you'll regret it and then so and then one of the uh, shots is going to make you have the side effect or has the potential side effect of making you homicidal so like i want to kill you but that would mean leaving the couch so one shot has a side effect of <laughs> lackadaisicalness one shot has a side effect of homicidal behavior <laughs> and he says so i want to kill you but i don't want to get up off the couch exactly dr lee says we call it murder stoner syndrome that can't be real it's very real my friend so just to be so how do i counter that um eat comfort food or or fatty foods have a ding dong or a cupcake so just to be clear the choices are homicidal maniac or shit tornado angrily consume your bacon on the toilet is my advice <laughs> it's great it's great i love how the author described this as pop music i would i've described this as like bubble gum just it's just a it's just a book that you just want to enjoy <laughs> there's no there's nothing like too um mind consumingly dramatic happening it's just like a fun ride and that's what this book is for me <laughs> right and so going back to the original godzilla the premise of the original godzilla is that h-bomb testing basically awoke godzilla and godzilla absorbed that radiation right and uh so this you know pays homage to that because nuclear activity is what thins the barriers between our earth and kaiju earth it's like a a multiverse type setting and so they use a nuclear reactor to cross over from planet earth as we know it to kaiju earth and kaiju earth is a little bit different than our planet earth <laughs> just just a little bit <laughs> And that everything is different. <laughs> right. So, so one of the differences is, is that there are no mammals on Kaiju Earth. And every animal on Kaiju Earth, the way I read it, is a predator. They're, so it's kind of like Texas. Right. <laughs> or Australia. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, really, uh, they describe it that, like, hmm, let me see, where when there was no um, meteor impact that killed off the dinosaurs, that didn't happen on Kaiju Earth. So they have, like, a higher oxygen content over there. So the, where is it, what is it called? This square 
root. No, animals can be large there because of certain uh, conditions. The cube law, right? The cube law. There you go. The cube law uh, doesn't quite work the same way there as it does here because they have all this these different types of environmental um, things going on. So, but there are like amphibians and reptiles well definitely amphibians because they have the trees the the trees the, the frogs so somewhere before at, be, when the, after they became they evolved <laughs> is where our timelines kind of split not timelines but trajectory and evolution split it's very fascinating the science behind the the book it's it's just enough to where i can kind of understand it <laughs> If I understood the original Godzilla, like their premise was that Godzilla was an in-between creature. It was something that was originally a sea creature that was able to come onto land. So it was like the in-between creature between the one that was solely in the ocean and the ones that were solely on land. It was the in-between, like the I mis- see, I see missing yeah, link one of those, between like, those two. When you, when we like when we came off of the the land, but can kind of still be in. The, I get that. I know what you're saying. <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> right, and the original movie they used this deoxygenator to. Uh, dissolve godzilla's body basically they throw it in the water where he is and it, it basically pulls all the oxygen out of the water um but there are no killing of kaiju in this book because their goal is to protect kaiju the only the only yes. thing that kills kaiju in this book are other kaiju right yes they're, they're all about preservation <laughs> It motivates them at the end, towards the end of the book, the preservation part of their name. (laughs) And so let's see. I wonder if there will be more of these because one of the things that Tom says when they first get over to Kaiju Earth is that obviously alternate Earths exist. I'm told in theory there are an infinite number of them, but this is the only one we can get to so far. Do you think that's a a setup line? maybe uh, I like at one point also one of the characters is questioning how how could the kaiju get over to our our plane of existence and it's because they didn't think we they couldn't <laughs> they just they didn't know that there was something they couldn't do <laughs> um, right they I, just I, they, they don't just, have that rational thought right right so the idea of this world continuing on really intrigues me i just i, I it's so fun and it's just nice to have something fun to, to read and i would love it if, if he wrote another maybe if it was a trilogy at least <laughs> five books please <laughs> give me 10 no i'm just kidding <laughs> this is the first book for me that has reference to the covid19 pandemic that's light that I feel like brings some levity and some healing to that situation. It's really interesting for me to see how we're talking about the pandemic almost three years later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. We, I think, had mentioned at one point in passing that we've read three books that deal with the co- with COVID nineteen, with the pandemics, with 
uh, with the one book that kind of sort of predicted the idea of a pandemic. Um, the Mother Code. Mother the Mother Code. Code. Um, this one, which is happening during the pandemic, and it's kind of like just how it feels to be in this dreary situation and wanting to escape from it. Um, and then we've also read just recently um, Goliath, Goliath, which, you know, is, is it mentions it in passing because it takes place in the future. Um, well, in the book? In the, the book. The pandemic took place in the past. The book yes, passed. right. The book takes place in the future <laughs> and mentions it in the past. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> um, but yeah, three so it's really, different. yeah, very, three di- very different views of the pandemic. Um, so it, it's, it's really, yeah, I, I think I like this one just because of how we all just wanted to, wanted it to end. We wanted to go back to normal or to something different. It's an escapist book and it's in all the glory of escaping from this world. Right. And so talking about the, the kaiju and kaiju earth, Everything on Kaiju Earth is a predator. There's a great scene where he's taken out for weapon, where Jamie is taken out for weapons training and basically he's put in this protective suit and the instructor like pushes him out of the door and then watches as he is within a 10 foot walk of the base. He's basically swarmed by these tree crabs that we know at a later point cannot kill him, but they will try. Right. They'll just make your day very bad. <laughs> I also, oh man, Tim, you keep saying, calling Jamie a he. I picture Jamie as a her <laughs> throughout the whole book. <laughs> there, There is no gender given to Jamie, which is why in my summary, I read them as a they. Oh, <laughs> I think that's very fascinating. Uh, yeah, because it was just like, wow, uh, what? <laughs> I, that's a really great way to write the book where you don't know what this person is. You just put yourself into that position. Like, I'm a lady. This is Jamie's me. And Tim, you're like, no, uh, uh, Jamie's me. <laughs> I love it. I love it so much. <laughs> I started oh, no. out with Jamie being female and then something made me switch and I can't remember exactly what it was some stereotype probably kicked in for me uh, <laughs> I thought I saw a he in there in description at, at some point but I couldn't identify where I where I think I saw it there may have been maybe that's maybe maybe that's what tipped me off I was maybe I was I'm moving out of bias that'd be nice I was um because I was very aware, like Neve, the character of Neve, yeah. uses only their name or the third person pronoun, mm-hmm. and everybody else is fairly clearly clearly defined. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I couldn't this, quite pinpoint a time, but you know, <laughs> this book actually, if you could sum up the premise, it's captured in the conversation with tom where he says we're the monster police too correct he said the only real question is who are the monsters and jamie responds they ask that question in every monster movie you know it's an actual trope i know said tom what does it say about us that it's relevant every single time they ask it no surprise there are a lot of people who are very interested in kaiju earth 
Oh yeah. I like, yeah, they're, they are um, funded by the government and billionaires, <laughs> but yeah, it's still like, they're still able to keep it a secret. So when they, when they first cross over to Kaiju Earth, they have to travel from Honda base to Tanaka base, right? And on their travel from Honda to Tanaka, they witness the fight between a kaiju called Kevin, who I picture as being named after the little boy from Home Alone. <laughs> I don't know why. And another it was un- unholy terror. <laughs> right. Oh my god. <laughs> another unnamed kaiju who is basically defeated and flees. And then when they get to Tanaka base, within the first week, one of the things that they're set out to do is to arrange a love connection between two kaiju, which they do by spraying pheromones in the face of one of the kaiju and bashing them in the head with their helicopter. So they are arranging a love connection between these two kaiju who are named Edward and Bella. And I love that the helicopter pilot, Sadie, says, I would have named them Sid and Nancy. One of you millennials <laughs> na- named that. But Sid and Nancy fits their moods better. And so, like, <laughs> I know exactly what that means. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So if there are any millennials listening to this, you're going to have to go and look up Sid and Nancy now. <laughs> Google it. But that's, but that's one of the other Easter eggs in there. The love match between Edward and Bella plays a part. The kaiju in this world, they have a symbiotic relationship with their parasites. We're told to view them more as their own kind of ecosystem rather than as an animal solely an animal and uh, they have naturally occurring nuclear reactors in their body and so they feed on radioactivity and fissionable material and also when they die it produces a nuclear explosion basically and that will attract other kaiju to come feed on that explosion so when Bella gets pregnant and the kaiju that was defeated by Kevin dies it goes off and that attracts Bella to that site where she decides to set up and lay her eggs and it also thins the barrier between planet earth and kaiju earth and one of Jamie's other assignments in there is ferrying around tourists so yeah so yeah because of that blast now uh now that's caused a lot of talk especially on our earth and (laughs) so it it, the you know the military want to come in and see is there any danger and then also the billionaires want to come in and just kind of (laughs) see they've also had in the past several tourists that went to try to hunt the kaiju but but the but the KPS is like, no, you can't do that. You're you're morons. (laughs) Well, they don't say that, but (laughs) they're too big (laughs) because they don't react to like bullets the same way. It's, it's not going to affect them at all. So just hunting them with a big old rifle, isn't going to work. Oh yeah. Creature control is really different in this book. It's definitely not about the guns. It's a lot about uh, 
chemicals. It's chemical warfare, mostly pheromone. It is. It is. And, and part of it is keeping them occupied. So maybe you right. are it's making you, you less attractive than what you can make something else more attractive. <laughs> yes. Something else becomes a meal. So you're not, a you're meal. not. <laughs> so they might douse it with pheromones that smell like, come on over here. I'm a meal. <laughs> and then eventually they figure out that they can douse themselves with these terrible smelling hormones that say, I'm a kaiju, stay away. I was trying to look. There's a description of the uh, of the pheromones in there. Oh, yeah. Page 77. It's like a family of raccoons hotboxed themselves to death in a dumpster and someone distilled their fermented remains. That's what the kaiju pheromones supposedly smell like. <laughs> But the one that smells good is the one you have to be very careful with. <laughs> All right. It smells like oranges, like and that oranges. means come kill me come now. Come kill me now. <laughs> what sends them into a rage, right? A any rage. Of the, any of yes. the, uh, the critters that detect that pheromone yeah. go homicidal. <laughs> so don't bring your essential oils with you to Kaiju Earth. <laughs> they will only get you killed. So one of the tourists that Jamie is actually asked to ferry around turns out to be the very person who's fired him, Rob Sanders. And one of the things that upsets Jamie about Rob's presence there is that after Rob fired Jamie, Rob took all of his ideas and used them to annoy Uber into buying him out and jamie finds out that all of this was done the creation of food mood the use of jamie's ideas to buy him out was so that rob could make his first billion dollars and his father had promised him that if once he made a billion dollars that he could take over the operations of getting to kaiju earth and Rob's goal in getting to Kaiju Earth is to steal Kaiju genetic material. Nefarious. All the way, this part of this character, nefarious. <laughs> and I love how he thinks that he's just going to walk up. And maybe this is why I think of Rob Schneider, too, because this seems like something a Rob Schneider-inspired character would do. I'm going to walk up to it with a syringe and just extract. <laughs> genetic material from its eggs sure well nobody's looking right <laughs> right <laughs> look over there right oh my god the goodyear blimp it was a really great uh scene in the chopper when they were um being ferried around there was the the general tipton and the pilot um martin jamie and sanders and sanders was trying to make another duke bet <laughs> reference to the trading places movie that um you know he could get the pilot to land so that he could go look at the kaiju and that was the also the bet that a duke bet was got jamie fired from from fud mud <laughs> um it's but the the integrity of the pirate pilot to say no you can't you can't buy me <laughs> this is the their work there was more important than than the money that he could give them because what could that what was the good that what good was that money there on kaiju earth right 
you've insulted my integrity. I forgot where I was going to go from there. <laughs> I promise I was really well prepared today. We're having I, a good conversation. No worries. <laughs> he wants to extract the uh, the kaiju DNA, but after after that, you know, Jamie takes him down to you know get a look at the forest floor and uses the same trick that was used on him by his weapons instructor to extract more information about what Rob was planning to do on Kaiju Earth. Even after that, or was it before that, that McDonald had a conversation with him about how, like, if he didn't stop trying to bribe people to do stupid things that oh yeah it was after he wouldn't be, he wouldn't be allowed back uh, well okay I'm no sorry. it was uh, before it was before jamie yeah, before, takes him down yeah, before, to the floor, yeah, forest sorry. floor and jamie suspecting that he has more of a motive takes him down there and tries to get out of him what he really wants that's where he uncovers the plan to extract kaiju dna and so Rob Sanders is sent packing, and he's not happy about it, obviously. But in the way of a person who has lots of money and who's not used to being told no, he obviously has another plan. And that is to use the thinning of the barrier between Kaiju Earth and planet Earth where Bella is brooding her eggs to basically steal her and bring her over to Earth. I was surprised by that plan that it worked, but because uh, you don't know what what what's happening until Bella is gone. Bella and her eggs are gone. They're, it looks like they've never been there. I was just confused as to, and they explain it later on about how <laughs> they were able to pull Bella from Kaiju Earth. But I was like, how did they know that was gonna happen? <laughs> how did they have this plan enacted? <laughs> but I guess, you know, nefarious people are gonna nefariate. <laughs> well one of the some kind of a they created some kind of a uranium barrier, didn't they? In order to to increase the radiation or something to to bring her across. They well they had used those um generators that the grandfather had sold to, or not sold, but had had the former Tanaka base that that got destroyed. Ultimately, you realize by the Sanders family, because they had the generators that they were trying to create a, to punch through the barrier, and they, and it was attracting kaiju to to them, and so. Uh, kaiju with a faulty reactor goes and finds it was goes to the former Tanaka base which was located near a lake and um and destroys it and people everybody died in that that base so they had those generators that they had been planning to use this whole time for generations right and it's a generational plan it's it's not originating with with rob sanders himself because KPS thought that the destruction of the Tanaka base was an accident, that they didn't know that 
the generators were going to attract the kaiju when in fact they knew and it was a plan to try and bring a kaiju over it, it just happened if i understand correctly to attract one that was about to go off right yeah yeah and ended up destroying the base but so they used those those generators and they perfected their perimeter to be able to basically just flip her over to to flip her from one side to the other the way kps the kaiju preservation society finds out about is because they take down the aerostat that monitors the area basically like kind of like a a low-level satellite that sends back images and readings and other sorts of data and uh, that stops responding and chopper one was sent out to replace some monitoring equipment near bella and her eggs and they never come back and so then people are asking like what's what's going on i kind of thought that maybe sanders had paid tom off i kind of thought that maybe you were going to find out that tom was behind it but no it was all sanders and i do have to point out that i really love that they reference trading places in 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 that the the idea of the duke bet if you haven't seen trading places it's a worthwhile watch because it does ask some very pertinent questions about our society in a sort of a comical way oh i guess we should explain the duke bet it's the the two wealthy duke brothers bet a dollar that they can destroy some person one person's life and elevate another person's life right for one dollar and uh Get in there and turn those machines back on. <laughs> I hate. I guess I hate should... that he refers to it as an old Eddie Murphy film, though, because it's not old TV. <laughs> Twenty years ago was not 1980. <laughs> um, I guess it should have been sort of a foreshadowing because it doesn't turn out well for the dukes and it does not turn out well for rob sanders either <laughs> right and i love how he's con- conscientious about how he's the monologuing bad guy even saying i saw the incredibles i know what monologuing is even as he, <laughs> he continues to monologue so they do find a way to get across the barrier much to neve's chagrin because he didn't co- or they didn't come up with the <laughs> with the plan their constant bickering and poking at each other out of fun and love is just wonderful <laughs> oh yeah they have a good back and forth with um kaharangi for sure that's fun neve is neve is my favorite because i i love well-placed cussing and excessive cussing and just cussing in general so any character that drops a lot of f-bombs usually gets my attention sometimes my love well and neve neve has nerves of steel too because when they are attacked by the parasite neve has no problem bashing the parasite in the head and 
yeah they they keep their kept their cool in that whole situation kaharangi who's another one of the doctors there comes up with this mad idea from neve's standpoint to go out to the site where bella was brooding and to slip a group of people through the barrier between kaiju earth and planet earth and to get over to the other side and to see if they can bring bella back because their theory is that bella will not survive long on planet earth because when godzilla came over godzilla didn't survive long and so they go to the site and they are able to go through the barrier and they of course find a group of mercenaries headed up by rob sanders who has decided that if he can't get a sample of kaiju genetic material he will just take the whole kaiju over the goal of course being to learn how to develop an organic nuclear reactor such as the one that occurs in the kaiju they try to they try to sneak in at first and they go into where the generators are run from and try to charge up the generators and of course the dialogue window pops up confirm discharge oh for fuck's sake i said and press the confirm button but i just love that like those little things that are there to protect us are you sure you want to delete yes oh no wait (laughs) but of course they're unable to charge up the generators because rob has the key to them and discovers that they're there and then goes on his monologue I like so. the scene where they're going across and they're holding those uranium pellets and they all like put their fists together to go through <laughs> the portal and Neve is just so angry about the whole situation. Like, no. like pseudoscience and a sale. Witchcraft and sales. <laughs> but it, it reminds me of like uh, Power Rangers or something where you're oh, just or like Voltron. Captain Planet or yeah, something. <laughs> yes, Captain Planet. People in different colored suits putting oh. their fists together and yes. something happening. <laughs> the wonder trends yeah so they get over they try to charge up the generators that doesn't work rob catches them mainly because they stun gun somebody named dave and then once dave comes up missing the then they're like well where did dave go and then they find him knocked out in the woods and then they know that they've been infiltrated and so they find jamie and kaharangi (laughs) and and neve and aparna and then the the group of scientists and Jamie who lifts things decide to ask them some questions about what they're doing and what their motivation is, of course, hoping to delay for time. You find out that Kaharangi has planted on Bella the orange murder-me pheromone. They trick Rob Sanders into pressing the button to detonate the murder me pheromone which then drives all of kaiju bella's parasites into a murderous rage which doesn't end well for sanders or his mercenary friends and then the helicopter comes through the barrier the helicopter comes through (laughs) 
And Martin um, Sadie saves the day, swoops in. <laughs> and then, then there's the surprise about his identity as well. Oh yeah, when they're finally they're finally able to get Bella. Oh, because Bella wakes up. She she gets up and she starts moving, and then she starts. But she's uh, she the need to get her over is because she will go up. She will uh, explode basically. So there's a an eminent need to get her back to Kaiju Earth, and she wakes up because of the the pheromones, and she's going to the closest water and so they have to coax her back to the spot to where her eggs are so they can get her through the barrier again and um and yeah the the chopper does its thing (laughs) smacks her on the head (laughs) and and get her to get her back and so they're finally able to themselves go over to the base because there's an army base a navy base a canadian there's a base <laughs> military <Or> base <laughs> royal canadian air force there you go and sati is a huge general person <laughs> he's he's a he's a colonel in the royal canadian air force there you go and they're like why are you a pilot he goes because being an ambassador is boring <laughs> Or a liaison. <laughs> I did like, I did like this book a lot. Uh, as you noted, John Scalzi in the uh, in the afterward talks about how he was actually working on another project, but just the circumstances around COVID just made it impossible for him to complete that on on time and so he wrote his editor look i've just got to scrap this idea that's due right now and i'll try and work on i'll try and come up with something else but he basically did what all of us need to do at some points and reassessed the direction that things were going and he says as soon as he got rid of that first project this popped into his brain pretty much fully formed like his brain had been working on it in the back room somewhere and said here try this um he does say that with no slight intended that kps is not a brooding symphony of a novel it's a pop song it's meant to be light and catchy with three minutes of hooks and choruses for you to sing along with and then you're done and you go about with your day hopefully with a smile on your face so Good job, sir. I think you I think you achieved that. We did reach out to John Scalzi to see if he would join us this morning, and he said that he was keeping his head down and working on other things. We asked why he chose kaiju as a subject matter, and he said, honestly, it just dropped into his head when his previous book fell through. And he says he's a fan of kaiju in the general sense and especially enjoyed Pacific Rim among the recent kaiju films. Uh, but this was more of a lightning bolt of inspiration than a long plan concept. So that means I'm going to have to watch Pacific Rim now. If I had had more time before this, I would have done that. Um, he also, we also asked him about how he casts his characters because everybody really liked the 
diversity and the interplay between the characters and how well formed they are. And he says that he really doesn't have a plan for that, that he knows lots of different people in real life. And so I try to have my fiction likewise populated by a wide range of human. Other than that, the characters invent themselves as I go along. We completely understand that you're a busy guy and maybe we'll get you to join us in the future. Who would we'll you guys read red shirts? <laughs> I did download it because somewhere during this time frame, Kindle had it on sale for $2.99 and I was like, yes, please. I got that one in a, another book by S.B. Divya. So who, who would you recommend the book to? Everybody. <laughs> it's so fun. It's, it's, yeah, I think this is a great way to kind of introduce somebody to like a sci-fi fantasy book too. Yeah, it's, it's really great. <laughs> it's funny. It's adventurous. It's well thought out. And, uh, uh, and it's not so heavy in the science that people couldn't follow what's going on. Exactly. Yeah, the pace the pacing is really good on it. It's it it flows like it it goes quickly and enjoyably. You don't have to put a lot of you don't have to put a lot into it to get a lot out of it, which is pretty fantastic when you want just something something really enjoyable, something pleasurable. So I think um, hardcore. I, I mean, I think hardcore fantasy and science fiction readers will enjoy the variation but i also think people outside of that those genre readers will also enjoy it particularly if they like adventure fiction or adventure movies it lends itself well it does it's very light so you know if people if people like sort of the humorous aspect or humorous writing humorous right good humorous writing is very hard to find and it's very hard to do and he has a clear talent for that. Um, so anybody who wanted, so again, almost like House in the Cerulean Sea, you know, just that very light sense of humor goes a long way, uh, even though he's dealing with some tough subjects. And also modern humor. Because, you know, humor changes through time and, and what, what's acceptable changes through time. And this is funny and acceptable in a modern way. Uh, yeah that's very true <laughs> there are definitely some there are definitely some older books that are funny or were were rated as humorous fantasy in their time that i kind of cringe to recommend to people currently he has a lot of good references in there too that point to other things that you could look up after and enjoy as well i think that's it right i think we're good okay well, we want to thank everybody for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode or other episodes we've done, please remember to rate or click the heart button wherever you listen to your podcast. View our book list, reviews, and suggested reads on our Goodreads page. It's Sample Escape the Earth and the Goodreads groups. Write us. Uh, what's on your sci-fi shelf right now? What's your favorite sci-fi or fantasy work and why? ask us questions you can do that at sample escape the earth at gmail.com join us next month for our discussion of the three body problem by six in Lou. thanks everybody bye thank you escape the earth